Good morning, Ocean View. <laughs> Whether you're in a seat or you're watching us online, thank you for joining us. I hope our time together blesses and refreshes you. And I have to start by saying thank you because so many people have approached me and said, we've been praying for you and I needed it. I need it. And people also said, how can we cheer you on? You said last week to cheer you on, like pom-poms or maybe a bit of this. <laughs> a smile will do, thank you, and I will appreciate it. That was a great photo we took last week. Here's another great photo. That's from our wedding day. And I'm sharing that because the fellow on the right, Garnet Leach, is the pastor who married Neil and I, and he is a long-term friend and mentor, now in his 90s, still going strong. And he says that everyone has at least one good sermon in them. So we'll find that out today. In other words, each of us has a story to tell, and each of us can be inspired by God with words to share with their family of faith. So, with Dwight and Sandra away in Disneyland on a long planned trip with their grandchildren, it seemed time to test the theory. So this morning, I'm privileged to share the message with you. And if you don't know me, um, my name is Carmen Campbell Hewitt. I am the chair of the Deacons Board here at OCC. Now, of course, in planning this message, I sought Dwight's advice. Where does one start? Well, the answer, of course, is with Scripture. But here's the thing. There is a lot to choose from. So I'm going to share this morning some of my story, our family story, and verses that God, with a lot of prayer, put on my heart for this church family. What God put on my heart was Ephesians. Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is a powerful one. In fact, a single verse, chapter 2, verse 8, gave Martin Luther such a moment of clarity that it sparked the Protestant Reformation. Do you know which verse that is? If you're Lutheran, you probably do. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In 1517, that was a radical idea. But that's not the verse I'm going to talk about. That was just a pop quiz. What I um, would like to talk, oh, sorry. Paul had two purposes in his letter to the Ephesians. Number one was to tell how God created a people for himself, a family through Christ Jesus, the gospel story. But the second thing was to explain how the gospel story should affect every part of our life, our story. And the verses that most deeply resonated with me as I studied and prepared were Ephesians 2, verses 17 to 22. So the Messiah came and gave good news. Peace had come. Peace, that is, for those of you who were a long way away, and peace, too, for those who were close at hand. Through him, you see, we both have access to the Father in the one spirit. 
This is the result. You are no longer foreigners or strangers. No. You are fellow citizens with God's holy people. You are members of God's household. You are, a foundation, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with King Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building is fitted together and it grows into a holy temple to the Lord. You too are being built up together in him into a place where God will live by his spirit. Have you ever been far away from home? Even more so, have you ever felt far away from home? Three weeks after the wedding photo, I was on a plane to Luanda, Angola, in West Africa, to join Neil where he was living and working. The country at that time was in a state of civil war, and I was the first English-speaking spouse allowed into Angola on family status with Neil's company. I felt very, very far away, and I was. But Paul isn't speaking about physical distance. He's talking about spiritual distance from God. And there have been times in my life, and I'm sure yours too, when you have felt far from God. Paul is saying those who Jesus preached who were far away were the Gentiles, and those who were near were the Jews. But Jesus preached the same message to both Jews and Gentiles to bring them into the new, multifaceted, multi-ethnic family of God that was being created by his death and our redemption from sin. Now, Luanda, Angola was only the first faraway locale that Neil's career in the energy in industry took us to. Alaska followed. That's where Jessica was born. Then Cairo, Egypt. Then Aberdeen, Scotland. Then Houston, Texas. And I have to be honest and say that is not a picture of our house in Houston. Neil, help me with the slides. That's a picture of his favorite Tex-Mex restaurant. So. <laughs> and lastly, Dahran, Saudi Arabia. And before we were married, I spent three years as a teaching missionary in Papua New Guinea. We spent over 25 years being the foreigner and the stranger. In fact, when we joined the local church near the country house we leased outside of Aberdeen, Mary Cooter Parish Church of Scotland, there was quite a fuss. We were the first foreigners to join the church since it had been built in 1885. <laughs> and we were Canadian and our family was from the region and Neil was a bagpiper, but still we were foreigners. A foreigner and a stranger. I think that's part of why the verses in Ephesians resonated with me. Every time we changed countries, we searched for a church, one with sound biblical teaching and a sense of community. We wanted to believe and belong. We wanted to grow in faith and be members of God's household, his family, wherever we were. In Muslim countries, Egypt and Saudi Arabia, 
church choices are very limited. In Egypt, the Egyptian Coptic people are controlled and persecuted. Building new Christian churches is illegal. Expatriates, people who live and work outside their home country, can only worship in English at one church in Cairo. In Saudi Arabia, Christianity is also illegal. There are four churches in the country that are allowed by a special dispensation of the king, and they are intended for expatriate workers. The Saudi churches are located within the employee compounds of Saudi Aramco and are accessible only to those who live within the compounds. They meet in the gymnasium of the schools, and you get bumped if there's a volleyball tournament or a play, or they just, no church for you this week. In both countries, Muslim converts to Christianity risk being ostracized or even honor killed by their families. But there's a pattern in the Bible of God calling people into the desert to discipline and grow them. And that's what happened to us. The church that grew us the most was not even a building. Mahdi Community Church in the suburbs of Cairo is a huge tent. And I think it is possibly the closest glimpse we will ever see of the church Paul is talking about on this side of heaven. There were people from two dozen nationalities, a myriad of denominations, and every economic strata from refugees to multinational corporation executives, worshiping side by side, sitting in plastic lawn chairs under a huge stretch of canvas, joined together in Christ. We gave our testimony under that tent. We were rebaptized under that tent, and that's Neil, and I just love that photo. We were baptized one after the other, and um, I'm showing you his photo because mine wasn't as well-timed, and it was in a kiddie pool on the stage, and my photo is just two wet feet up in the air, so that's why you get to see Neil. We hosted a home group there for over six years that brought us some of our dearest friends. It was transformative. The home group ministry in Mahdi Community Church placed every member and congregant in a small group. It was such a powerful way to connect that in under two years, the church grew from 600, which was big already, to 1,500 people under that tent. When the revolution happened in Egypt in 2011, the church simply submerged. Those who weren't evacuated continued to meet together in homes. They watched over the empty homes of the people whose companies and organizations had pulled them out. They fed and watered the pets that couldn't be evacuated. And when it was safe, the church, whole and holy, resurfaced and began worshiping again. We took our home group experience in Cairo and put it to good use in Saudi Arabia. There are many Christians working in Saudi who do not have access to the churches on the Aramco compounds. We helped establish a small group ministry that gathered people in homes to worship. 
When we left in 2017 and came here to retire, 40 groups were meeting. Many were on camp, but most were not, and they had to meet in secret. And here's the key to having a secret Christian gathering in a country where Christianity is illegal. A birthday cake. Always have someone bring a birthday cake. So if you are raided by the Matawa, you can just say it was a birthday party. But what does Ephesians 2, 17 to 22, say to us right here, right now, on this side of the globe in Ladysmith at OCC? Well, like I talked about with the kids, we are the church. We standing here watching on a screen are the holy temple. Standing here, pardon me, sitting there or watching on a screen are the holy temple being built together in Christ to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. How do we respond to that? How do we live it out? Well, the Bible tells us the focal point of God's desire for his church is that we create disciples. We win souls for Christ. We bring others into the family. What does that look like? Well, I'm going to get some help with that. Jessica, will you grab the microphone? And we're going to do with the microphone what we did with the basket this morning. There are 11 verses that are coming up. Jessica's going to do the first one. Then she's going to give the microphone over. And if you're holding the mic, will you do the next verse? If you're too shy, pass it to the next person. Eventually, we'll get them all read. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There, see, there you go. It's participatory. Honor one another. <laughs> Live in harmony with one another. Let us not judge one another. Accept one another. Teach one another. Serve one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Well, I thought I could do this, but I can't quite see it. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, I encourage one another. <laughs> I've got exactly the same problem. So, <laughs> where are we? Offer hospitality to one another. I think I said that right. Yay! Thanks, Jess. Thank you. We have a beautiful mission statement here at OCC. Here's the next pop quiz. What is our mission statement? Well done. Well done. Love God. Love others. Serve the world. But can you see a difference between our mission statement 
and the verses that we just read. The verses had one another's. Verses, others. One another implies those who are near us, while others has an outside or not yet brought near connotation. As we are called to do, OCC has done amazing things for others. We've reached out to our local community in a lot of ways. From starting the free lunch program at the high school, to Christmas gift cards for our Tsutsuma's First Nations neighbors, to building parks and pathways, to participating in um, the light up. That's what we have reached out beyond our community as well. In 2020, our giving sent $22,000 to a trade school for vulnerable women in Liberia. And then there's our refugee committee's amazing work with the Sarita family. We are having a global impact. Did you know that right now our church budget, 11% is given to missions? My understanding is that in the Fellowship Pacific and in churches much larger than ours, the average is 8 to 9%. We are overachievers. For a small church, we are achieving much for others. But right now, OCC is in a time of transition. I would suggest we need to ensure we are doing as good a job with the one another's as we are with the others. We're emerging from the isolation that COVID imposed upon us. Our attendance is growing weekly. In fact, it's doubled. Since September to January, our attendance has doubled. But we're without a full-time pastor. We don't have a Sunday school coordinator. And many ministry leadership positions are empty. Our needs are growing. So to travel this period of transition healthily, OCC needs you to deeply engage with your spiritual family. We need to actively love one another. So Dwight uh, helped me with my sermon. He gave some notes. I practiced. And at this point, he wrote in the margin, give examples. Okay. I've got a page of examples. And I think if I broke you all into little groups with a pad of paper and a pen, you'd come up with even more. But here's just what I came up with. How about staying for coffee and connecting with someone new? Saying hello to someone, even if they're not sure, even if you're not sure of their name. And that happens to me a lot. How about phoning someone you haven't seen in church for a while? Ask how they are. How about telling the worship team what a good job they did that morning or a song that you, that you particularly enjoyed? Making meals for the freezer to be shared with families in need. How about spending a morning with our next generation in Christ? They are really cutie patooties. And leading or helping with Sunday school. The curriculum is prepared. You just need to share it. We need to create an ushers team so that newcomers can feel immediately welcomed and not feel conspicuous as they find a seat. How about offering to bake cookies or pick up coffee cream or make the coffee on a Sunday morning to help out our tireless Sylvia, our hospitality coordinator? It would be awesome, it's just a brainstorm, it would be awesome if a few folks step forward to organize a potluck so that we can break bread and fellowship together. How about this? What about a pancake dinner on Shrove Tuesday? 
we can do it. How about reaching out to Dustin Smith, who is coordinating the revival of our small groups, and joining one, or hosting one, or leading one? What about giving kudos to some of our unsung heroes who show up each week to lead worship, run our live stream, change slides so we're all on the same verse? What about giving a pat on the back to our awesome refugee committee members? Grant Geiger has been quietly tending to the maintenance issues on our building. We have a new toilet. We have a new water heater, thanks to Grant. How about asking him if he needs a hand? In March, we're having our annual general meeting. Our nomination committee, which is Neil Hewitt, Hewitt Dan Gillard, Sandra Geiger, are searching for volunteers to helm a lot of ministries. And we also need new board members. Maybe God is calling you to serve in this way. But most importantly, be in prayer. We need to be a people of prayer to cover our church and the pastor that God is preparing for us. Verse 22 says, And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, the school teacher and me would like to point out that this is a present continuing tense, happening right now and continuing into the future. How are you being built? How can you build? If you see a need in our church right now, that's probably a whisper and a nudge that you need to help fill it. God is calling you to act on the one and others. And I'd like to speak to those who are online to tell you that you're a part of us too. Visit us if you can. Let us know you're coming and we'll make sure you don't sit alone. If you're far away, well, this is one of Canada's most beautiful destinations. Come and have a vacation here. Let us know you're coming. Maybe we'll take you for lunch. Send a note and let us know that you're watching online. Send us your email so that we can send you our weekly newsletter and keep you in the loop. Be a part of us. Connect. Now, our daughter Jessica began preschool and continued to grade two in an international school in Mahdi, Cairo. Her best friend was a girl named Noor from a very well-to-do, high-profile Egyptian family. And Noor and Jess spent a lot of time together they were in the same class, you were brownies together, and Noor spent a lot of time at our villa. Noor's mom, Noha, and I became very good friends. And Noor would often have sleepovers at our house with Jess, and she enjoyed the same bedtime routine as Jess, a story, a song, a prayer. And this was special dad time for Neil and Jess, and the last thing he would do before bedtime, Neil always brushed out Jessica's long blonde hair and put it in a braid. When she was with us, he did that for Noor's long black hair and gently braided it. Noor's mom, Noha, was astounded by this. They had maids for such things. It was unbelievable to her that a father would show such tenderness. We knew Noor and Noha were watching our family, how we treated others, how we treated one another. 
In a short while before we left Egypt and had to say goodbye to Nur and Noha, Noha told me, the imam tells us that Christianity is about heresy and cannibalism. <laughs> and that is what is being preached. And she said, but I know the truth about you. It's about the love. And she accepted Christ. So then, OCC, let us be known for our love for one another and for others. Soundly built on the foundation of Christ and continuously being built in Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Ryan, come and pray for us. <laughs>